All right. Um, first, thank you, because uh, this has been really helpful. Um, but for me, like I can always, I can already see like it being really tempting to hear something like this, and then like f to adapt this kind of hidden li hidden life into a form of performativeness. Um, like, can you think of ways that we can like guard our hearts against that? Yeah. I don't know if this is an answer to your question, so forgive me if it's not. But um, I remember <clears throat> 10 or 11 years ago, uh, I was leading a group of uh, people through the practice of solitude, just being with the Lord and trying to listen to his voice and put away distractions. <clears throat> and I remember thinking, because I'm sort of an introvert, and I, I like being alone, despite living in a really small apartment with four children. I like being alone. Desperately. Um, and I remember thinking, gosh, solitude is pretty easy for me. Because um, I like being alone, and I kind of like the spiritual discipline. I'm pretty good at spiritual disciplines. <laughs> um, what I have found, I think, the longer I've practiced it, um, I actually think something like the hidden virtue of solitude is very hard for introverts like me because what I thought was something, and I probably wouldn't have articulated it this way, but it was a way in which I can probably indulge myself, right? I could just be, I don't I have to worry about anyone's problems. They're not intruding on me. I'm just, I can just be alone. What I have found is solitude the longer you practice it, it actually is an intrusion on yourself that you are allowing God to get in there and really be disruptive on your heart and expose things. Because I don't know if you've ever tried to be alone for two minutes, 30 seconds, 10 minutes, an hour. All the ghosts and goblins come to the surface, right? All your anxieties, all your fears, they're all there. And if you just, which is why we go like this, I'm tired of that, right? And you, you, you reach for whatever you want to uh, scroll to kind of numb you for a little bit. Um, if you don't do that and allow, you, allow yourself to be vulnerable to all of the ghosts and goblins down there, that's where we begin to actually experience healing. Um, and it's not because we've allowed them to come out and now we're just expressing ourselves. It's that we're doing it in the presence of Jesus, who is allowed to sort of pull out and like, hey, this about you is pretty ugly, and let's transform that. So um, I do think if you are practicing some of those um, spiritual disciplines of prayer, fasting, solitude, giving to the poor even, in hidden ways, it is, you know, I tried to use that phrase of like, they are small crucifying steps that sort of kind of beat down that, inner man that says, I, I, I need to perform in order to feel okay about myself. Um, the other way, I think, is just to meditate more and more on the Sermon on the Mount, because Jesus seems to just want to beat that out of us, of trying to find some measure of ourselves through our virtues. Does that make sense? Does that kind of answer? <laughs>
Um, I actually um, don't usually talk on the mic this often because, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit intimidated to do this. Um, but um, what would you say to someone who, who wants to take a break, but um, they, they don't feel like they have the courage to actually do that? And this is like maybe at work or things like that? Uh, yeah. You know, um, it is interesting to talk about because we, we try to value at our church um, taking a day of rest, which is, you know, just a, a biblical principle of not trusting in yourself to, to get everything done and holding the world together and trusting in Christ to hold the world together, right? It's one day a week where we say that, sort of do that out loud with our bodies. <laughs> um, I do think in some ways it's, it is, and I've been challenged by people when I teach that, is Sabbath keeping, to use the biblical phrase, um, can become a sort of privileged virtue. In other words, do you have enough money to take a day off? Um, and so there is a, in, on the one hand, um, a way in which, you know, when Israel was in Bab- Babylonian exile, they couldn't just practice the law. They probably had to work as slaves seven days a week. So w- what does it mean to have a Sabbath when you're not able to have a Sabbath? Which is why Jesus in the New Testament begins to talk more and more, uh, less about um, the actual structural day of the Sabbath, which I think is important, but more of like, do you have a, a Sabbath heart? Do you, are you, do you have like a, a heart at rest with him? So, you know, um, and, and, and you're talking specifically about being able to ask for time off sort of thing. Is that what you're, yeah. I don't know, I don't know if I have a good advice for that other than it is just costly. It always is costly to, to not live performatively in a performative world. So if the performance in your workspace is you got to work as much as you can and grind it out, and whoever grinds out the most is going to have the most favor. I do think there is some ways in which Jesus calls us to begin to imagine, okay, what if you don't have that favor? What does it mean to live not on that favor? And, you know, to, to find the, the spiritual resources in him to begin to think about that life, which is a death life, right? Because you're dying to hearing the, the favor of your supervisor to hearing the favor of the Father. And I don't know how to sometimes get around the fact of mo- making that transition by first experiencing that death first, right? It's not as if I can go just from, I found life over here, to life over here, I do think in some ways to find life over here with the Father, you have to find death over here, if that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? Great. Sorry if it wasn't a kind of one, two, three, quick, easy fix. You talk about fasting. I don't think I've fasted a day in my life. And, and I'm very interested in that, but the people who've talked with me about fasting were extremely skinny. <laughs> and, and 
it just or they were like Catholic where they gave it up for Lent. Yeah. But to me, it should be a spiritual fasting, but yeah. I don't really understand how to do that. I don't know if other people in here know how to do that, but to yeah. me, I, I don't know what, what you do. I mean, there's like the practical side of like, don't start with a 40-day fast, right? Don't do that. Um, of, you know, starting with a, a meal a week for a season of time or something that way. But I, I think what's really important is to understand the, what, why the Bible pushes us towards it. And it's, there's something about experiencing hunger and a depletion of your uh, being fed by food that shifts a spiritual place where being you're fed by God. There's something there. And I, for some reason, God thinks something happens when something happens in the stomach can move to the heart. It's where our desires are. Um, and that can happen, you know, uh, in a number of ways when we begin to uh, move away if we're addicted to some things in technology or some things with money or some things with food. It, it can sort of reawaken some desires that we have for God. But the, the principle is to just sort of st- to diminish your ability to feed yourself so that you're hungry. So if I'm, so if Jenna, my wife, um, is making this meal of lamb and I'm not going to talk like I know what I'm talking about, but something really good and she's working all day long. Um, and if I know that, if I go to a lunch meeting and I eat a big bacon cheeseburger with fries and then I wanted ice cream afterwards and then on my way home I I'm a little hangry, so I get a Snickers bar, and I come home. I'm just not hungry. I, I may be able to eat the meal, maybe, but I'm not going to, like, enjoy it, right? There's some sense we're fasting. We're, we're, the, what I should have done is, like, had a salad for lunch, put aside the, the Snickers bar, and so that when I'm hungry, I might be a little grumpy, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to be there. I'm going to enjoy everything. Everything's going to taste right. Everything's going to taste the way it should. And in some ways, um, God is asking us to find your delight and joy in him, but we're just sort of having all these bad meals that kind of keep us not hungry, but not really satisfied, you know? And so what Jesus is calling us to do is to have uh, sometimes do certain spiritual habits that make you hungry, that remind you that you have a deeper hunger for him, if that makes sense. Um, And I don't know if there's like a good way or the most efficient way or the best way to fast. I do think even like stumbling into fasting to try to get that is, I think the Lord blesses that because it's not supposed to be an expression of faith. It's supposed to be, how how do I begin to long things again? How do I desire things again? I don't think so. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I I got on a uh, a group of people in our church who d- who uh, was fast doing Lent. Uh, they were fasting from chocolate. I was like, well, that might be okay. I don't know how it, you, know, you might be addicted to chocolate, but let's make it something that's more like I'm going to be hungry because you can just shift chocolate with I don't know pastries. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the, the thing is, you're, you're meant to be hungry, or you're meant to be thirsty. You're meant to, um, 
You know, when, when Jesus is on the cross, he's, I thirst for you. He's quoting the Psalms. He's not just thirsty for, for water, right? So we're, we're meant to, we're meant to kind of have that kind of thirst for the Lord. Um, yeah, I don't know if that's helpful or not. Yeah. <laughs> I hope I can word my question in a way that you understand what I'm asking. Um, the biblical concept of hiding a talent that is God-given yeah. is not met with a very positive um, consequence. Yeah. How does one decipher the difference between a mediocre attempt in, you know, sustaining something in this life that is um, comfortable and has good physical um, reward yeah. and not fall into the temptation of burying a talent that was meant for you to represent like a very... Um, um, like a concept where I would think if I'm given a talent from God, I'm going to do my utter hardest attempt to represent perfection, um, an undying representation of who God is yeah. in that living out of that talent that I've been given. Yeah. And I'm, I, I realize this may just be another perspective or the other side of that same concept that there's meant to be a healthy um, tension between. Yeah. Because I know the Bible's filled with tension, and some of that I personally feel I get more out of, like, a tension as opposed to just being resolved in one end of that spectrum and staying in my healthy, yes. you know, corner. So how does one not fall into that predicament, I guess. Yeah, I think it's, and it, I think it, it's like the, um, it goes back to what I think we said last night, where Jesus says in the same sermon, um, don't, don't practice your virtues in public, but don't hide your light under a bushel, right? And um, that when you do bring out your light, the world's going to see you, but glorify God and not you. And I, 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 I just think there has to be something about where what Jesus is pointing out is he's trying to get us a way to believe that um, the world is wrong when it says the most important things about you are what you can display and are visual, right? Or what you can accomplish and do, even if, like your best gifts, What's most important about you is your hidden life with the Father. That's just like the soil. You know, if it's bad soil or if it's not there, like you can, you can have all kinds of great gifts and be so self-destructive with them, right? Um, you know, there's uh, a lot of, because our world loves to display them now, and, and, and it's a form of judgment, I think. There's a lot of pastors where they're, they had amazing gifts, but they 
did not have a secret life of the Father in a way that produced fruitful use of their gifts, and they became abusive, or they became um, narcissistic, narcissistic or slanderous or whatever, whatever their form was. Um, but I, I do think the sustaining and the thing that you're primarily concerned about sustaining is not that I'm constantly using my gifts. Even though, like, Jesus has all kinds of parables about what you do if you bury it. It's wrong. But I don't think you will bury it if you bury yourself with Jesus first, right? I think there's a kind of beginning place that leads you to more fruitful use of your gifts. Does that make sense? I think a lot of what makes it right or wrong is happening within your own heart yeah, or in yeah, your mind. Absolutely. It's not the action or it's not how you live it out, but really it's between you and the Lord. Because if you're exercising your gift and you're taking the glory for yeah. yourself, yeah, that's happening with within your heart. Yeah, that's not something that's seen with someone's eyes it's kind of like and you're right like it's that tension you have to sustain it and there's there's all kinds of movements or churches that is they're they're all about the mission and they will they will plant as many churches start as many ministries and they will pick up the dead bodies as they go along um or there is a a, another ones who are just it's all about very pietistic. It's all about your life with Jesus. It's all about rest. It's all about um, restorative ministries. And um, no one knows about Jesus outside of those four walls. It's a holy huddle, and it's a very comfortable place to be. And maybe it's a place where people can feel um, some restoration when they're burnt out. But what do they do when they're fine? Um, it can become kind of an indulgence. So I, I do think there is a... Um, and Jesus has hard things to say about both, I think, of those communities. So I, I, don't, I don't know um, if we can imagine a community that's perfectly held to balance, but um, it does seem to be that first abiding, then fruit. Um, other than you're just sort of like you're trying to maybe tape on fruit, you know? I don't know if you've seen or felt a kind of life where it's like, well, I, I have gifts, and I can kind of give the sense that I'm, I'm a pretty fruitful person. But really, there's no roots, there's no abiding, and the fruit goes away fast. I don't know if I... I guess for me, understanding that the tension is fine. Oh, man. Then. Yeah. Don't give up on the tensions. There are all kinds of tensions in the Bible, I think. I think that's a really great uh, place to end with a lot of those comments. So thank you. Thank you for the questions. Thanks for coming. Thanks to John for being with us. Um, as you go, uh, please express your, your thanks or any final questions you didn't get to ask uh, before uh, we head out. But thank you. Uh, these will be available online soon as well. Um, and uh, again, you can uh, follow up with a lot of these things and maybe some more of the, the follow-up questions would be answered uh, in John's book. So I'm just really thankful for him being with us and coming, uh, leaving his family behind too to spend some time with us and help with these things. Thanks, John.